You're listening to The Small Business Mastermind, a podcast created to help small businesses juggle business, finance, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Morgan Berna. The Small Business Mastermind is brought to you by Olympia Benefits. Olympia Benefits is a leading provider of health spending accounts. If you're looking to reduce your health and dental costs, visit olympiabenefits.com. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Small Business Mastermind. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different with the podcast, but I think you're going to really enjoy it, and it's going to be a great way to take away a ton of information in a shorter period of time. The other day, a colleague of mine asked me, from the 16-plus episodes we've done so far, what are the biggest takeaways I think business owners and their teams should know? And my mind immediately started jumping to a few pivotal episodes that we've done. I've gone through and taken a look at our most popular clips, our most listened to episodes, and the feedback we've gotten from you listeners. From looking at all of that, I've put together what I believe to be the biggest takeaways the Small Business Mastermind has for small business owners and their teams. As I pulled these clips together for you, an overall theme started to emerge about how in order to perform your best in the workplace, it starts with how you're taking care of yourself and your team. Whether you have listened to our full episodes or not, this episode will be a chance to remind yourself of these key behaviors and actions that help take a business of any size to the next level. But... This episode isn't intended to be a one-way conversation. I want to hear what you found to be the most important concepts you've gotten from the podcast as well. Send me an email at podcast at olympiabenefits.com with your answer. And if you'd like to include any feedback about the podcast or topic suggestions, that would be perfect as well. Be sure to include your business name and website in that email, and I'll be shouting out a few businesses on our next coming episodes. So with that, let's start diving into these clips. We all know that small business owners work hard, and that has never been more true than in 2020. But it's good to remember that working too hard without giving ourselves a chance to breathe is the best way to take yourself out of the game altogether. From our episode about burnout, here is what we learned happens when we suffer from an abundance of stress. Is it dangerous? Absolutely. It was interesting. A couple years ago, I read a study and it showed that burnout in women can actually be as dangerous or have as dramatic of an impact as obesity and smoking. Wow. So that was one study that kind of shocked me and has still stuck with me. The uh, Some other areas um, linked with that sleep deprivation, when you know we're not getting that seven to nine hours of sleep, there's actually been shown studies that our prefrontal cortex will start shrinking. So this is an area of the brain. It's very important in planning, executing planning, our personality. Mm-hmm. So those areas that I talked about in their symptoms it's actually having a physical manifestation on our brain. Another pretty significant fact is those stress hormones that I mentioned earlier, they're one of the most potent immune suppressors. So when we're constantly releasing those stress hormones, our immune system is gonna be depleted and we're not going to be able to fight off things. Oftentimes people are complaining, you know, after Christmas time or a significantly stressful time, um, they get sick after. 
Well, it's because that immune system has been suppressed and, you know, whatever viruses, bacteria, anything that we've been exposed to, we can't fight it off any longer. So so our nice vacation trip down to the beach might not be so fun. <laughs> exactly. That's when it's just finally going to hit us. And then actually even more so, now this is pretty extreme, but in the long run over a long period of time, we've even seen a link with a lot of autoimmune conditions. And that's the same thing, right? Just something affecting the immune system for so long. From this clip with Dr. Michelle Hegel, we really learned that there are serious consequences of overworking. But how can we get all of our work done when we have so much on our plate while doing it in a sustainable way for our bodies? Rick Tiedemann explained to us how to use the executive interval. What we really need our business owners and business leaders and executives to be doing is to start doing uh, executive intervals. Now, that's where the being a corporate athlete ties into the wellness mm-hmm. and allows us to perform at our highest level on a sustained basis. And what would those intervals look like? Well, really, what it, the intervals, you can have micro intervals throughout the day and you can have much larger intervals. An interval during the day may look like uh, doing a 50-minute hour. So uh, I stay on task, monotask, not multitask. (laughs) I monotask for 50 minutes, and then I take a 10-minute break. And there I might do a little bit of exercise at my desk. I might do a little bit of mindfulness. I just recharge. Because I've had 50 minutes of exertion, I'm going to take 10 minutes of recovery. So I can have micro intervals throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But we need bigger intervals than that ultimately, and that's where vacations come in and weekends come in. Now, when I talk about a weekend or a vacation, a vacation is just I, go, I don't go and work from some other place. <laughs> Too many business owners and business leaders can't get away. They're working all the time. And so when they're on vacation, I often hear families complain that they're saying, you're always on your phone, you're always on your computer. You're not getting true recovery. You're just working from a different location. And so you really are not giving your mind and your body the break that it needs to come back and perform at a high level on a sustained basis. So when we talk about intervals, these are true intervals where we step back from the business that, and we actually recover. And while we're talking about burnout and leadership well-being, this led us into an interview we did down the road with Rick Tiedemann again about sleep and the importance of sleep. Uh, Dr. Michelle Hagel did mention that in her burnout clip that this is one of the biggest ways to fight burnout. But unfortunately, so many people are getting inadequate sleep and fragmented sleep. So again, we turn to Rick Tiedemann here for some advice on how we can get a better night's sleep. This is what he had to say. Let's get a couple of things on the table right now as we talk about what great sleep looks like. Because what we should be doing on average, and of course, depending on your age, anywhere from uh, a baby to a senior individual, it is going to vary a little bit. If we look at kind of the working group in that 25 to 65 group, on average, people should be looking for about seven and a half hours of un disrupted sleep and that undisrupted dimension is really really important morgan okay so there is going to be some variation in there but let's strive for seven and a half hours of undisrupted sleep i think a couple of things that i want to get on the table right now before we talk about what good uh, sleep architecture looks like is that we need to understand morgan that sleep problems don't start when you put your head on the pillow at night 
They actually start when you take your head off the pillow in the morning, and it's all the goofy stuff that we do all day long, all these unhealthy therapeutic lifestyle choices that we make that actually culminate in us not being able to sleep when we put our head on the pillow at night. So we need to kind of engineer our day to get great sleep. The other thing, Morgan, it's really important that we understand that there's a couple of dimensions to sleep. There's many, many more, but generally speaking, number one is sleep onset. Can I fall asleep? And number two is sleep maintenance. Can I stay asleep? And different things that we do throughout throughout the day may impact on one of those two core dimensions of sleep. So now when we look at great sleep, and if we strive for that seven and a half hours, give or take, we need to understand a couple of fundamental things, Morgan. Number one, we don't just fall asleep, go into deep sleep, and stay there until we wake up. What we actually do, Morgan is we're awake, then we drop into REM sleep, and then we go through non-REM stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four until we're down into deep sleep there. And non-REM stages three and four, that's that deep or slow wave sleep. Generally speaking, give or take, and so that each cycle, we'll go through five cycles where we'll drop all the way down into non-REM stage three and four, and then we'll pop back up into REM, And then we'll drop back down into non-REM and pop back up into REM. We will go through five cycles that give or take will last about an hour and a half, Morgan. So five times an hour and a half is seven and a half. The interesting part about these cycles is that not all cycles are created equal. Different things are happening during different cycles. For example, in the first three cycles, we tend to get more non-REM than REM. In the last two cycles, we tend to get more REM than non-REM. And this is by design because different reparative and restorative things are taking place during each of these different cycles. And that's why we really emphasize the undisrupted component. And so we need to look after both dimensions. Can we fall asleep? And just as importantly, can we stay asleep? Another topic we've been exploring on the podcast is how our finances are impacting our health. So it's great to be getting that good sleep, to be watching our stress levels and all that, but a big component of if we're sleeping and how stressed we are is how our money's doing. We talked to debt expert Mark Kalinowski about if there is such thing as good debt. Have a listen. Is there a difference between good debt and bad debt? Very much so. Debt's a great tool. Um, and when we're using debt as a tool, the whole idea is that it's going to enrich our life. And, you know, I do a lot of presentations at school and many students have student loan debt, Mm -hmm. which can be a great thing so long as it's going to help you prosper in the future. I have a history degree. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, they're not calling out for a lot of historians right now. I don't know if going back 20 years, I'd be so eager to get a history degree. Um, but if I'm going to be an engineer or someone in, in communications, a doctor, mm-hmm. um, that, of course, will, will make your life better. And sometimes houses are the same way. I, I often look at houses as forced savings accounts. They're really hard to get the money out of, and you put money in for a long time. But at some point, you own a hard asset that you can sell for cash. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that businesses, small businesses, can be a great way to, to um, use debt to grow and build a great life. Mm-hmm. Where you're using debt for consumerism, out yep. and out, going on holidays and not being able to pay them off. Um, when I see people buy, you know, $100,000 pickup trucks, I know they're advertised for twenty nine ninety nine or <laughs> whatever in the newspaper, but you walk out with a $100,000 car loan, I am concerned that they're buying into a lifestyle they can't afford. 
when we don't pay debt, it becomes really, really stressful. Uh, Bank of Montreal put out a study not too long ago where we saw that people that are not paying their debt and feel tremendous amounts of stress are about 40% more likely to have migraine headaches or, or headaches on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. They have stomach issues. They're about 30% more likely to have an anxiety issue and about 25% more likely to be depressed. They're overall well not feeling, they're not doing well. They're not mentally well. They're not physically well. Yeah. So there's a tremendous burden about it. So to the individual themselves, it's, it's life-changing because it makes it hard to manage everything that you do. You fight with your wife more, yell at the kids more. Uh, you're a less productive person at work. Mm-hmm. So that's a big factor. Um, the second factor, of course, is that when you don't pay your debt, you know, the only person that ever cares more about the money you borrowed than you is the guy that needs to get it back. Mm-hmm. So there is the stress that you know the banks are going to punish you in some way or the other, or the credit card companies. And you know, when they punish you, it's not like it's a physical thing, except it does affect you physically and emotionally. It's yeah. that they're going to call you all the time. Uh, they're going to send you off to collections. There's the possibility of getting sued. Um, mm-hmm. Having done the credit counseling job, two things people seem to fear, tax man and courts. No one wants to go to court. No one wants to deal with the government. So there are lots of things that can happen. Whether or not they happen really depends on the situation. Um, in Alberta, I think they can go to small claims court for $50,000 and under, which makes it an attractive option to take someone that owes a sizable amount of money through courts to collect the collect the cash. Yeah. And if that happens, well, there are steps you can take to remedy it. Is at the extreme bankruptcy, is it as bad as people say it is? I think it comes down to that sense of obligation. Mm-hmm. When people go bankrupt, they feel like they've not morally met their obligations. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of their time people are in trouble because something has swiped them out of the blue, job loss, yeah. death. Something um, out of their control, yeah. So, you know, it's not really a moral issue. I've been a banker, I've been a credit counselor, I know lots of bankruptcy trustees. From our perspective, it's money. It's not you as a person, it's this money needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's not the end of the world. Where it really stresses people out is the thought that they may have to give up a house, they may lose all their RSPs, um, all their dreams fall apart and may never come to happen. That's yeah. not true. Yeah. Um, in Alberta, we're kind of a safe, safer place than other places to go bankrupt. RSPs, registered retirement savings, uh, registered education savings plans, things like whole life insurance and pensions are generally exempt from bankruptcy if you're not drawing on them. Mm. Um, in terms of houses, if you have a house... And this might be many of us as house prices have dropped tremendously. But if you only have $40,000 of equity in your house, you get to keep that. And if you can make your mortgage payments, well, the trustee might let you keep your house. Hmm. So if you think that's the way you need to go, you should probably seek more information on bankruptcy or maybe a consumer proposal from someone that has information on it. A, a great place to go, you know, bankruptcy trustees are overseen by the government. You can go talk to them. It's free to go in and talk to a trustee. You hmm. don't have to sign on. And in fact, I tell people that go into trustees, don't sign on until you talk to someone else. Yeah. Just so you can explain exactly what the process is. Um, Nonprofit credit counseling agencies are a great place to go. Credit Counseling Society, uh, the Mm -hmm. place I work, or Money Mentors in Alberta is a good place to go talk to. They're they're all nice people. They're going to give you the straight scoop. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, bankruptcy is not the end of anything. Having been a lender, I've given someone a loan that's been bankrupt three times. You just go into the penalty box for a period of time. 
So that is great news from Mark that debt isn't always as bad as it sounds like it's going to be. But of course, we're looking to help small businesses avoid debt altogether and maximize revenue from your small business. That's why we've brought on our friends from True North Accounting for three different episodes talking all about tips for small business accounting and bookkeeping. Here are our favorite clips with chartered professional accountants, Curtis Gabinet and Matthew Peterson. First up, should business owners be taking dividends or wages? This is something we we explain to people constantly, whether they're brand new, whether they've been in business for 10 years. A lot of people just don't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe they just haven't like adequately been explained what it means or what the differences are, or they don't care. Um, mm-hmm. But it's good to have a general understanding because ultimately there's two ways as an owner to get money out of your corporation into your own pocket. And you can pay yourself a dividend, you can pay yourself a wage. Mm -hmm. Those are ultimately the two ways you're getting it out. Um, There's there's pros and cons to each. Dividends, ultimately dividends are just, you're you're just extracting cash from the company. Okay. And you're just taking it out as you please. You don't really need to do anything. There's there's different ways you can you can structure it, obviously. But more often than not, you're seeing someone just month to month, week to week, just pulling cash out of the company. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the end of the year, you kind of tally that up, and there's your dividend. It's showing up on a T five. Um, without it, there's there's tax planning opportunities in between. Um, but it's simple, straightforward, and really easy. But there's also there's also I guess cons to it. Mm-hmm. Um, a dividend is not a write-off to the company, so the company doesn't see any tax savings because on the opposite side, a wage is a write-off to the company. Um, so because it's not a write-off to the company, you get taxed a little more favorably in your own hands personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get this T5, you use that on when filing your personal taxes, and you you will owe a chunk of tax depending wherever you fall in the, um, in the tax system. So um, you're not you're not paying into CPP. Nobody's withholding income tax for you like a T four, like a regular employee. Uh, okay. Um, you're just taxed on the on the gross amount at the end. Um, and sometimes it's important. Everyone has a different view on what CPP is going to look like when they retire. But I've seen circumstances of people coming to us as a new client. They've been in business for forever. And they're heading into retirement. They're like, well, I don't have any, I'm not going to get CPP. What do I do? It's like, you've been paying yourself dividends the entire last 30 years and nobody ever explained this to you. You haven't contributed to CPP. Uh, Um, Can you still contribute to CPP with dividends or do you need to kind of just do your own... Pension planning at that point. Then. You need you you need to take extra precautions, I guess. Like ultimately, you don't want to just rely on CBP as your yeah. retirement income, yeah. right? Um, but you can you you want to focus more on alternate methods, RSPs, mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. things like other forms of investment. Mm-hmm. You there's still Service Canada has different options to go out of your way to like contribute yourself to still contribute to it. But, mm-hmm. um, it's not quite as simple and straightforward as just having it come right off your wage. Yeah. Um, another thing that's usually unknown to people or we, we commonly see it as a shock is dividend income personally isn't considered earned income. And 
I'm putting air quotes around that, but <laughs> the tax system says it's not earned income, whereas a wage is earned income. Okay. And the key to that is earned income is what increases your RSP contribution limit. Mm. So if you only draw a dividend your whole life, you start a company right out of high school, you only draw a dividend, you don't have any, you can't put anything into your RSPs. Oh. You don't have any RSP room because you have never had earned income. So... Mm. There's these other qualitative factors that yeah. more than just the taxes you're paying. Um, on the flip side, a wage, it's there's more involved. You have to you have to withhold, especially from your employees. From yourself, it can be handled a little different if you're the the owner. Um, but realistically, you're withholding income tax and CPP if you're the owner owner, not EI, because you're likely going to be EI exempt. But you're remitting this every single month. And so you've got another task. There's deadlines for payroll to keep in mind mm-hmm. to dodge interest and penalties from CRA. Um, then you're getting a T4 from your own company. So the wage that you're paying yourself in a very like simplistic scenario, um, it's a write-off to the company. You've just brought your company's net income down. You save the tax in the company, and you file your personal tax return with your with your T4, and you've already withheld your own your own income tax and CPP and Mm -hmm. you're contributing to CPP, you're increasing your RSP contribution limit. Um, Most cases, there's, there's always variables in every scenario, like everything's different, but in a very cut and dry scenario, um, the overall tax between yourself and the corporation combined, whether you choose dividends or wage is usually really close. Okay. Um, If there was a clear cut winner, everyone would do it. Yeah. So um, sometimes it's more understanding what each means and what fits your lifestyle and your goals going forward. And of course, we had to take this opportunity to ask what's on most of our minds. How can we minimize our taxes? Minimizing taxes is what you're after at the end of the day, no matter yep. what. If you're so. incorporated or not, you want to pay less tax or... Mm-hmm. Um, just capitalize on every chance to get a write-off you you can. So again, it's it's starts you gotta start the building blocks of of okay, what can I write off? What mm-hmm. does that mean? Um, what should I look for? If you can if you can boil it down to pulling out the right card at the point of purchase, you really simplify what happens after the fact. But first you gotta know what because if you're if it's personal, you're going to pay with your personal card. If it's business, you pay with your, your company card. Mm-hmm. The CRA has, it's, it's a very gray general description, but a write-off is any cost you incur in an attempt to earn income. So it's very broad, right? Okay. Yep. Um, what you have to, I, oftentimes I'll tell someone, if you're sitting across from a CRA agent and you've got that, write off in your hand, whether it's a meal receipt or a parking receipt, can you explain to the CRA auditor why it was a business expense? Mm -hmm. And if you can, and it's very easy, like, oh, I drove to this podcast interview right now and we paid for parking. So it's to do with our business. I'm going to include this parking receipt as a write off there. I just justified it. And then, so sometimes you, you, some people want to push things. Some people want to remain on the the low, low risk end mm-hmm. where if it's questionable, like you go out for dinner with a few friends and colleagues and you you could make the argument that you talk business and it was you were taking people out and it did benefit your business. Yeah. 
you could justify it if you wanted to argue that, but some people choose, no, I don't even want the risk. I'm just going to pay for this one personally. But really, any, any cost, anything you're paying for during the course of operating your business is a write-off. There's, there's most of the time it's very straightforward. It's just 100%. It's directly for the business, paper, yeah, like free photocopier. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so clear and concise. Um, then you get into, there's a bunch of different gray areas where it's your home office expense. Most people that own a small, small business mm-hmm. operate out of their, out of their home office. Um, and so then you're looking at a split between personal and business and mm-hmm. you have to think of CRA uses the word reasonability all the time. So what's reasonable and like home office, the classic, the classic example, CRA says, use your square footage of your home office mm-hmm. compared to your house. You'll get a percentage, maybe 10%. You apply that against all of your different home costs, your mortgage interest, your utilities, oh. and you get to claim a portion. That's like saying, okay, 10% of the cost of my house mm-hmm. is actually my business. Vehicle is similar where, again, tracking mileage, back to what Matt was saying before, tracking your mileage, and every business owner has at some point been been tracking mileage or been hounded by an accountant to track their mileage. <laughs> and so finding out what portion of using your personal vehicle is is business versus personal. Mm-hmm. And then that percentage you can claim a, claim a write-off for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, things like home internet, cell phone. Um, yeah. Most people don't have a second cell phone if they have a business. If they are their business, if it's a small business, mm-hmm. um, you're just using your phone, right? And you're probably paying for that personally. Maybe you're paying it for the business because it's so heavily leaning towards the business side. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes you just do what's reasonable, 50-50 split between myself and the business. And then um, you mm-hmm. just understanding what is a write-off, make sure you can start trying to capitalize on claiming them all and dropping your taxes so but ultimately when it comes down to it even if we alter our behaviors and we follow all the best tips for our business if we have fundamental issues with our communication and our culture we're going to have a very difficult time staying in business to close out this episode here are a couple clips from our guest shane wallace on our episode about emotional intelligence Emotional intelligence. So um, emotional intelligence has five dimensions to it. Uh, Self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, motivation, and social skills. Within the workplace, we focus on the first two dimensions. So self-awareness and self-regulation. So self-awareness is essentially how well do you know what triggers you? Mm -hmm. And self-regulation is are you in control of those triggers or do those triggers control you? Okay. So specifically within the workplace, uh, we look at the common areas where those triggers occur. And so it's equal parts, in trying to address it, it's equal parts treatment and prevention. So from a treatment standpoint, we help, the more we can grow someone's self-awareness, the better their ability to self-regulate when those triggers happen, they can bounce back faster. Yeah. And then our company, CultureSmith, the the word CultureSmithing comes from building the type of culture that prevents those triggers from happening as often. Mm -hmm. And so it's a a fairly holistic approach to trying to bring more workplace emotional intelligence to the forefront. EQ is like a muscle in that you can develop. It's it's the only element of human personality that you can actually learn and grow Mm -hmm. and develop. 
but no different than a muscle. Um, so you can grow your muscle to be stronger. You can grow stronger EQ, but it can also become fatigued. Yeah. And so there's this concept known as ego depletion, which um, basically states that we have this reservoir of mental energy to draw from on a daily basis. And when it's gone, it's gone. And so if you spend a tremendous amount of time leveraging willpower to go through and try and make it through your day, by the time your day is over, you're just a burnt out shell of yourself. Yeah. And so when we start, and your ability to then be aware and self-regulate diminishes. And so we started looking at, okay, well, if we can control these environmental factors, if we can basically start building a healthier culture that doesn't tax people as much, Mm -hmm. when we are asking them to show compassion to their fellow employee by respecting the different behavioral types and practicing emotional intelligence, it's almost disingenuous for us to ask them to do that if we're not creating the type of environment that allows them to do it. All right. So that is our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed taking a listen to these clips. If you hadn't heard them before, I hope they inspired you to maybe go check out some of those full episodes. And if you'd heard them before, I hope this was a fun and interesting way to round up some of these key takeaway points. As a reminder, I'm looking for your thoughts, your favorite episodes, and any feedback you have on the podcast so far. Please send that to podcast at olympiabenefits.com. And as a reminder, if you include your business name and your website, I'll be doing shout outs on the next couple episodes. I would appreciate it if you shared this podcast with a colleague, friend, or family member. And if you have a moment to rate and review the podcast on whichever app you're using, that really helps us get the word out as well. All right, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll be talking to you again very soon. Mm -hmm.